first story deals with a subculture of heavy metal music that some feel is sending a dangerous message to your kids. The forces of evil on the dark side of devil rock. And I want to talk tonight about the devil and demons and witches and wizards. And we just mix it up with hardcore and aggression and come out with something that we face an original sound. Loud, fast, heavy, you know. Well, what do you got? What do you got? You're listening to Riff Worship, the podcast that attempts to answer the age-old question, what makes a riff? Why do we worship all things the riff? I'm one of your hosts, Austin Paulson. With me, as always, the great Bald Hope, the great Baldini, Arkansas's prodigal son, Dylan W. Adams. Dylan, how are we this evening? There will come a payday, hallelujah, <laughs> what a payday. There will come a payday someday. How are you, bud? I'm uh, miserable. I, I kind of left the uh, the last episode in a Terminator timeline, not really sure how the Bears <laughs> would fare in their first week against the Packers. Obviously, it was a tragedy. Uh, I'm still uh, healing. Uh, we are going to be going into this week. Um, it's week two. I don't know. We'll see. So we'll see what happens, I guess. Norm, our mutual friend, is laid it in thick, just, didn't he? Yeah, he he's he's enjoying himself, I'm sure. But unmerciful. I'm a little bit better knowing we're going to be talking about three more cattle decapitation records this week. Um, I loved getting into the origins, some of the the lore behind this band. Uh, there was really a lot going on with those first initial three records: mm-hmm. Human Jerky, Homivore, uh, To Serve Man. We kind of left things off with. The band signing to Metal Blade Records, um, you have to serve man. And, you know, while it is kind of a maybe a more focused record in the realm of death metal and grind, um, you know, it didn't really it didn't really like have the wow effect to me. Like it, it is very much straightforward. Yep. Um, but when you listen to it, you know, with some of the newer members on the album, like Josh Elmore. Um, he's kind of locked into what Dave Astor is doing. There's not really too much um, experimentation going on. I feel like there is just kind of a... Here is a grind-influenced death metal record. Uh, Here's what we've got. Uh, You know, don't really know why that album sounded like it did because in comparison to the rest of the band's catalog, To Serve a Man is the outlier. Yes. Um, It definitely seems like a very just straightforward, almost... Death metal record, mm-hmm. almost like they wanted to make a uh, something in the vein of maybe the Florida death metal bands. Sure, maybe just like early wave Florida death metal bands, very straightforward, um, almost mid tempo, and definitely in comparison to what we're going to go over today. Um, by by any means, uh, the speed is there, but not to what we're about to talk about. Uh, it's definitely more of a it's definitely more of a linear kind of album. Yeah, I think uh, all the things you mentioned, I think those influences certainly come through. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, having talked about some of Travis, Travis Ryan's, uh, you know, influences as far as uh, some of the more traditional death metal versus some of the, maybe the hardcore um, sensibilities that came through on those first couple records, the records we're going to be talking about, I mean, holy shit, it just completely flips the tables 
And, you know, while there is a a progression through their catalog, I feel like you go from To Serve Man to maybe this first record that we're going to be discussing, Humanure, and it's like night and day difference, man. It is. Sounds like two separate bands. Absolutely. I want to say that upon doing some research, you have like a bit of a break, right? 2002 mm-hmm. to 2004. Yep. Um, you know, that's a normal kind of turnaround for, for a record. But I think there is a, a clear goal that maybe they took a step back and kind of said, okay, this was pretty straightforward. It was pretty rudimentary death metal. It's fine. But what can we do? How can we elevate ourselves? Like, I think they always had the talent. The talent is clearly there. The, you don't just come in and write a record like Humanure and, you know, it's not like, I feel like they had the, the skill and the songwriting. It was always there. It was always kind of like underlying the surface, like, and then they just went full force on the Humanure. Yeah. Um, I'd like to talk about 2004 in general, maybe some of the things that were occurring around this time and maybe more like broad musical terms some of the uh bigger records that came out around this time uh, i think Absolutely. usher's confessions was like yep. the biggest record that year uh, uh yeah that very well so uh green day american idiot i had this record i was in i think i was like in elementary school at this point i, I was, was like 14 the, i was in the fourth grade hey i, I want to say um so oh four is a big year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's kind of the first year. My ear got turned to the underground in like 03, and then this yeah. was the first big year where everything blew up for me mm-hmm. uh, for aggressive music. But you're right. You know, uh, you've got Usher's Confessions, um, Green Day's American Idiot, yep. Michael Michael Romance's Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, uh, the self-titled Blink-182 record. Yep. Uh, you've got... Eminem's Encore. Eminem's Encore which is uh, not great. I'm going to go ahead and say that. It's not a good record. Um, he would even say that, I believe. Um, but, I mean, you had some heavy hitters. This might have been the last year that big albums like that existed. Sure. Like, yeah, albums are big now, but in contrast to what sales are, this may have been it. Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll kind of talk about the Nielsen sound scanned era a little bit in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but even by the accounts of some of the members of the band, maybe on the later, uh, end yeah. of this episode, uh, CD sales are not really no. much of a big deal, or at least they're declining. So you're kind of having to make, uh, special packages to make sure that you're selling yep. physical copies of albums. Um, some of the albums in metal and hardcore that were coming out in 2004, Dylan, I know you got a big one. For sure. Oh man, to to touch on this though, this is uh we touched on this in our darkness um episode with Nate Garrett. Mm-hmm. Uh oh four was kind of the death knell for new metal. Right. Uh oh three was the tail end of it. Oh four was essentially like it's buried. Um essentially if you weren't the band I'm about to list, uh, you weren't able to survive new metal, and that would be Slipknot. Uh, which that year they came out with arguably their best record, which is Subliminal Versus Volume 3. You had Mastodon's Leviathan. You had Killswitch Engages, The End of Heartache, Lamb of Gods, Ashes of the Wake, Shadows Falls, The War Within, Pig Destroyer's Terrifier, A Hundred Demons Self-Titled, The Locust, Follow the Flock, Step and Shit, and Converge As You Fail Me. Yep. 
oh my god, just massive records. Yeah, those are fun. Oh, um, I I I would be amiss to not talk about this one. Cannibal Corpses: The Wretched Spawn came out in two thousand four. Yep, I didn't even list that down. Absolutely. Um, you know, oh four was like the first resurgence of this underground movement of metal. Um, for a lot of for a lot of us, for a lot of us younger people during that period, you know. Ozfest was still around. That made it, that year may have been the biggest Ozfest. You had a ton of metalcore bands on it, um, as well as the the uh, subgenre term that was created by all the journalists, which was the new wave of American heavy metal. Yeah, uh, which doesn't really get brought up much anymore. Unearth had the oncoming storm that came out that year. Like massive records came out this year that are now genre classics. Uh, I mean, that was a big year. Um, What's funny is like going back and doing research about music during this period of time is the album Humanure ever gets brought up in that. No, that this band kind of just got, I don't want to say swept under the rug, but it was kind of buried in because they were, they were starting to establish their name as opposed to, they may have already had a record that made them a name. The first time I ever saw the cover specifically was during a, I was very much into thrash metal at the time. Uh, there was a documentary that came out called Get Thrashed. And it just yep. kind of, you know, uh, describes the history of that subgenre from the West to East Coast. And then so at the end of the documentary, they kind of talk about where metal was going at the time. Uh, they list some bands. They interview some people. I think Shadows Falls in it. I want to say that yep. uh, Municipal Waste was also in the <laughs> in the in the end of the documentary. Uh Rumpelstiltskin Grinder also was a, an album oh, cover. Oh man, I forgot I, about them. Yeah, they were on there. Relapse. And so, uh, but they also, so they were showing some of the album covers and I remember seeing Humanure on there and I'm like, <sighs> what are they, what is this? Like, what What are they, <laughs> you know, because the Rumpelstiltskin Grinder album cover was also kind of grimy. And so yeah. my first thought was, all right, what is this like fifth generation thrash metal band? Like I'd oh. never heard of them before. Um, the album cover, I'm like, are they just trying to like shock people? What what I had no um knowledge of the band, their history, uh, their ethics, or anything like that. I had no I just saw the album cover and unfairly put my own sort of ideas behind what could possibly be on that record. I can't remember the first time I saw the artwork. Um I you know what? It may have been at a music store. Sure. I may have just seen the album cover and was like, all right, that's that is a cow defecating a human head. That's just this me. Is, uh, anytime I eat, anytime I eat, that's just a normal. That's a normal Tuesday for me. God, that is. <laughs> I'm glad you got that in there. Um, you know, uh, it it is funny, like seeing that because I distinctly remember the Pink Floyd album cover. Right, uh, Adam Hart, Mother, 1970. Yep. Um, there are many uh, comparisons that have been drawn to that album cover. Um, was not intentional as far as I know the uh, the uh, the comparisons between the two covers uh, you know he uh, Wes Ben's Cotter of course uh, designed the album artwork he would design yep. pretty much all of their work uh, from here on out but well and uh, he, he's on to serve man of course as well but yeah um, this album cover in particular uh, he had not even heard like seen or at least like looked at Adam Hart mother until after he had already designed the album cover. So there was no intention to do that. There was no nod or, you know, you know, reference to the album in particular. But, you know, that was a I think it was like a British art collective called Hypnosis that designed that Adam Hart 
uh, Mother. Uh, they also did Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here. They did like T-Rex, UFO, uh, ACDC. I know Wes Benscotter also did some designs for ACDC as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the collective from Britain also did some stuff for Black Sabbath, Never Say Die. Uh, Wes Benscotter also designed some stuff for Black Sabbath as well. Um, the Dio, the Dio years compilation cover. Um, but the, the thing that makes this so interesting to me was obviously it is very hard to distribute or try to sell a, uh, record store, you know, department store on like, Hey, can you carry this cattle decapitation (laughs) record? Uh, there's a cow just defecating a human head out of it. Um, so I think what ultimately happened was Metal Blade at one point reissued the record without mm-hmm. the cow on the on the cover, so you just have a just waste a close lamp. up of the head. Yes, I believe. And so there is a version of the album without the cow or the you know the the the, the cow shitting on it, and that has almost become a rarity in itself. That's almost more rare if you were to find that version of the record yeah. featuring um, just the wasteland on it. So let's get into the lineup here a little bit. Uh, we have some returning members of the band from the previous record to serve man. You have Travis Ryan on vocals and the lyrics, uh, Josh Elmore on guitars, Troy Oftedal on bass. Uh, mm-hmm. But you have a shift in drummer. You no longer have Dave Astor, a founding member of the group, on this record in particular. He is, of course, replaced by uh, Michael Laughlin. Uh, there was not really sure exactly what happened. I know there was some perhaps there was some a bad falling blood. Out. Um, I want to say there was a statement that was released that I found. Mm-hmm. Uh, Travis Ryan said he had, they had parted ways with Astor for his inability to live up to the necessities of the band and demanding tour schedule. So we ate him. Yeah. <laughs> so in a recent interview with uh, Travis Ryan that I saw around the time Terrasite was released, uh, apparently based off of the death of Gabe Serbian and uh, Trevor from the Black Dahlia murder, um, I guess Dave was at Gabe's funeral mm-hmm. and essentially they like buried the hatchet. Yeah. So I guess they're pretty cool now. So like almost 20 years of ill will, like, you know, they've, they've corrected that. So like there was a bit of a falling out from that. Don't really know the story behind it. Um, I've heard some other interviews with the band where they kind of dig into that and that's not necessarily what we want to dig into. Right. Um, not my however, place to say. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Not our involvement. Um, it definitely seems that maybe I don't want to give all the credit to the band having a new drummer uh, per se of saying, oh, we started riding this way because we had a new drummer as much as sometimes a band will get a new member and it's just a a new influence or a new um, or or new blood in kind of the project to uh assure like hey we can take this in a completely different direction than we initially thought we were going to and maybe that's why we saw this progression from to serve man into this album alone yeah um i mean it's wild i mean it is not it's 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 hard to describe it unless you listen to those albums in succession the thing that really stands out to me having listened to these like next three releases right before I think the main focal point of the albums were were uh, Travis Ryan's vocals, and that's not to say that yes. they aren't impressive or they don't stand out on these releases from here on out because they definitely do. But the thing that is really the 
kind of star or the showstopper to me really is Josh Elmore's guitar playing. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. It makes, I mean, every time I listen to it throughout the week, every time I would visit a record, there was something new that I found. There was something so incredibly uh, impressive about his playing on the record. And, you know, some of the, the things that he mentioned, I think he spent a lot of time in Chicago uh, during the nineties. Um, he was really into the no wave scene here as mm-hmm. well as uh, some of the releases by skin graph records. It's very like anti music. It's like all of these guys who are very, very talented at guitar, but they're making like just the most abrasive noise possible. Yeah. And so I think a lot of that abrasiveness uh, ends up on some of these releases uh, starting with humanure. Uh, I mean, right out of the gate, it's probably one of my favorite intros on an album of theirs, it, like that that piano, that that piano part. Um, I want to say there is a guest who plays piano. It's a nocturnal overlord who is in some bands like Crimson Moon and Necro Chamber. Uh, kind of reminds me of Megadeth's uh, Last Rites from Killing Is My Business. But I could see that. Very classical. Uh, it's very grotesque and unsettling, uh, which is a word I will be using very much throughout this episode, unsettling. Uh, but yeah. it's, yeah, this very like sparse kind of beautiful piano arrangement. And then it just kind of kicks into unrelenting fury with the title track, Humanure. So that, that title track uh, and the name of the album, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Travis Ryan came up with the title of the album. He had it in his head. Um, it's like, oh yeah, here's the concept. Here's what I've got. And I believe years later, maybe even after the album was released, um, it hit him of like, oh my God, that's a carcass guitar <laughs> solo name off of like symphonies or something. Yeah. And he was like, yep, great. Um, so now we have an album named after that. Can't get you know, away here's from more it. Of the carcass co- comparisons. I mentioned guitar playing and, and from the previous record, as we've kind of touched on, it's very straightforward. I think the one quality or at least the thing that they certainly include on the records from here on out is melody. I don't think there was really um, much uh, melody in previous records, especially no. the, the record before um, you just got, it has riffs, but uh, I want to like, especially this title track. I mean, the, the melodic quality of each song, it, it shines on each thing. There's like, it sticks in your head. Like there's so many riffs on here. There are or or those like kind of like alternate picking um, licks are just, they have stuck with me ever since kind of diving into this. So what I noticed in this record, uh, you know, starting with the, the title track is mm. that one, the progression is there undeniable. We've, we've mentioned that um, the melodicism is in this record. Yeah. Um, the guitars in particular, the, it was like the first record maybe had a couple tracks of guitar, right? Maybe they were just playing, they were just doubling it up, right? Right. Same thing. This album has thrown all caution to the wind. Uh, there are multiple layers of guitar playing God knows what at different periods. Um, you know, this is a four-piece band and making it sound like a five-piece band uh, with all the guitar stuff. Um, you know, it was almost like Maybe there was a discussion in the creative side of this album to go, okay, we did our first record. Uh, What can we do to differentiate ourselves from just being another death metal band? What can we do to be more creative? This was a weird time 
for death metal as well, where maybe a lot of the albums started to sound virtually the same. A lot of the guys in the old guard were um, kind of maybe putting out less than stellar albums at that point. Um, you know, the tech death kind of wave was in full kind of full bore there. I mean, you had an album like a uh, necrophages is, um, epitaph that it came out that year as well mm -hmm. so like tech death neoclassical stuff and what's great about this record is it's it's technical it's there's technicality to it there's precision oh, man. but it's not it doesn't feel like wank you know there is a melodic aspect to it there are hooks yes um you know we've been friends for a really long time and it's always been discussed that i was a big tech guy mm -hmm. I, I'm not necessarily, I don't, there's a lot of that tech stuff that is just like wank to me. Um, it's the precision I like. Yes. It's the, it's being precise. Uh, yeah, you can, you know, write a tech song all day long, but if there's nothing catchy in it, there's nothing catchy. However, if you write something that's precise and has technical aspects to it and it's catchy, like that's, that's where I dive in. And this opening track just immediately kicks in. You're like, okay. You know, it's almost if you gave this to if you gave this album to somebody and said, hey, you've heard to serve man. Here's the next record. They would almost have to take a step back and go, I'm not quite ready for that. <laughs> I've got to listen to something else to be prepared for that, because it starts at a blinding pace. It's fast, man. There's I mean, there are they're playing with speed, obviously. Yep. Um, it starts and stops. There's ripping solos i mean he's sweeping all over this record yeah. but again like you mentioned it's not wank for wank's sake it's no. wank it's not wank for wank's sake it is like yeah there is a technicality to it but i can hear everything even at yes. that speed even at that blinding pace they are still making enough um there's enough focus on the notes there everything mm -hmm. there's a point to everything it's not just uh, you know, a uh, barrage of notes. Yeah. Uh, there, there are hooks. There, there are things that stick with you on this record. So the, the big thing with this, with this band in particular is they don't, they don't use a shitload of gain no. on their guitar sounds. Uh, it's very clear. I mean, there's enough there, there's enough breakup, but it's very clean. It's very, um, you know, every note is accounted for. Um, articulation is there. So in these blinding speeds, you can essentially hear every single note that's being played. And that's, that's a big part of it. They're not playing in some lower tuning, which helps with the clarity of it. Um, so, I mean, you get all of these precise technical, like short songs uh, that are just coming at you at a blinding speed. And you've got hooks, melody, all of that stuff in there. But yet it's so abrasive that you that it's hard to even grasp that those first two mentioned things are even in these songs. You know, we, we started out with Humanure. We go straight into a song like Reduce the Pace, which uh, I believe they made a video for. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, another big part of this album is. With each album that we're talking about today, they become a little bit more blackened. Yes. And they be get they become a little bit more almost doomy, almost post metal esque. Uh, this album might be the most black metal sounding in a weird sense. 
Uh, I'm sh- I, actually I know Josh is a big black metal fan. Um, they did a uh, what's in my bag for oh, Amoeba yeah. a few years ago, and it was uh, Travis and their bass player at the time, Derek, and they brought up an album by a band called Diocletian, which is like this really like war metal black metal band. And they said, yeah, Josh is really into that. It's like, <laughs> okay. And then like they mentioned Sammy from Goat Whore. I was like, oh, all right, yeah. I get it now. It all makes sense. There's now. a dude, you're going to have to help me out on the pronunciation mm-hmm. of this particular song, but exactly what you mentioned, it's uh, number five. Do you remember, how do you oh, know it? Cloacula, uh-huh. the antro- anthropophagic cropromantic. So um, I know a little bit about I've watched a lot of Discovery Channel shit as a kid. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I don't, do you know what a cloaca is? Tell me, it's essentially a It's essentially a bird's butthole, <laughs> uh, but it's where all their breeding parts are. And, like, they'll they'll do, like, this thing called the cloacal kiss where they just fly midair and go, bap, and just separate <laughs> yeah. from each other. And Nature's beautiful. Seeing that, this, seeing that this thing is called cloacula is, like, God almighty. Does that mean that there's some, like, is this about some sort of monster that comes in and it's just like, I'm going to suck your butt. <laughs> um, cloacula, the anthropophagic copromantic. So that I interpret that as an animal shit eater um, <laughs> is how I would interpret it. Uh, I mean, that's it's a wild track. That is a wild, wild track. I know they're more uh, contemporary, but some of the riffing on this or on this uh, particular song kind of reminded me of some of the things that uh, Imperial Triumphant does yeah, uh, with that very dissonant kind of uh, sound. And they're the, the, the melody, or at least like the hook of that kind of sounds like when the, the wicked witch shows up and just <laughs> raises hell, but they're doing, it sounds like you're having a mental breakdown. Really? When I, there, if you listen to it with headphones on, they're kind of experimenting with the panning and you're like, yeah. Holy fuck, what am I doing? Like what's happening right now? Um, there's, black metal vocals there's yep. guitar tapping and like hammer-ons to this thing it's insanity we we glossed over one track that probably has my favorite song title this band has ever had oh, no. which is bukaki tsunami it's a great uh, it's a great that, song what it, a very- it really is with a just despicable name oh my they God. had a they had a t-shirt i believe with that uh with a design based off of it and it literally was a wave and it was just what you could imagine uh, it was amazing. I don't think we've mentioned in this particular episode or the previous okay. episode mm-hmm. because I mean, we've mentioned it before. One of the best shirts you've ever owned in your entire life is a cattle decapitation yeah. shirt, mm-hmm. the, the Waffle House shirt. Yes. So what? It, how did it rank? It was like it, it, oh, it, it rips off the hash brown order. But it's I, like, I hope, I hope we could feasibly get a photo of that and maybe impose it in i'll i'll, I'll include it right yeah here. i can't <laughs> remember what it said but the thing is i bought that we'll touch on this in when we start touching on the harvest floor um but they have never repressed that shirt um they've never done anything i'm sure there is some sort of lawsuit that happened or possible threat of lawsuit i would love that shirt again let's Let's make it, we'll will it into reality right now. If we can get a, re- a reproduction of the cattle decapitation Waffle House ripoff shirt, I would, I'd buy it up in a heartbeat. I, even if, even if it was like, if it was just made and just, just make five of them. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care. I, I've, I have scoured the internet 
yes. for a couple of years attempting to find it. And it all, it just doesn't exist. Mine finally disintegrated. It was just so worn <laughs> out and worn in, like just, just it's gone. So great. It's such a great shirt. Um, it's, it was a great shirt. I've owned a few bits of cattle decapitation merch that were just like, how is this even a real thing? Uh, they've gotten a little more subtle with their artwork in later years, yeah. which I like because it adds to the different vibe of the band. But something about this era where they were just like wailing on it um, was fantastic. Couldn't imagine um, walking down the street in a Bukaki tsunami shirt. though. <laughs> I, I have seen him announce that song live and it's hilarious because oh, he does it in that high pitched kind of shrill voice. And it's like, yep, <laughs> this is what we're getting. But to, to that same credit though, we were kind of talking about the black metal influence a little bit. I mean, you definitely love it. You definitely hear it on Bukaki tsunami. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's a very all encompassing uh, song as far as like playing style. Cause you'll definitely get some black metal chords, but then there's like almost like a, a 101 course in like new wave of British heavy metal, like threat. There's yep. like this kind of like picking uh riff that kind of translates throughout where it is very much reminiscent of some of the more traditional playing style, I think. And I'm sure that helps with these guys being at this point in time, probably in their early to mid thirties. Yes. And I'm sure, I'm sure these guys grew up, especially Travis and Josh. I think Josh might even be a little bit older. Um, Josh more than likely grew up listening to some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, at, at that point. And it's always nice when you can listen to like, you know, a modern death metal record or whatever modern metal record. And you hear stuff like that of going, okay, these guys probably listen to a little bit of like classic rock or radio rock uh, to get into that. I, you know, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these guys have like a Motorhead or a Diamond Head album sitting in the midst. Um, no question. Just for that sake. Uh, I mean, as we're going through these tracks on this album, uh, Chumified. That's my favorite is, song on the whole that record. Is, that riff is, that's like maybe one of my favorite riffs I've ever heard them. Like, and I love those later records, but yeah, I love that riff in particular is so, so good. And it, it really stood out to me. When I think of this record, I, I have often am humming this riff in my head, I think. It's, you know, I've, I've been listening to these albums for a long time. And sometimes I've, I've listened to so much music and have digested so much music throughout the years that sometimes things are just in the gray matter. And the minute you put on the first uh, you know, the first sample of the first song, uh, it all comes flooding back and it's like, all right, here comes that riff. Mm -hmm. Here comes this part. Here comes this part. Here come these like just disgusting, despicable vocals that are kicking in. Uh, cause that's a, as we said, that's one thing to keep in mind is how disgusting and nauseating these vocals sound at, <laughs> at, at, at the same time. And it's one of the, that's one of the most positive things I could say <laughs> is that, uh, it's amazing. Also, what I want to point out is that this band is very much known for, um, especially in the most recent portion of the catalog, his propensity to do these almost like pitched screams where he, you know, enunciates with his tongue and, and do all that. They were around on this record. They you were. You can hear them on this record. Yeah. I they're think, just buried in the mix. I think they're, they'll come out more in the later half of this episode. Yeah. But I noticed that as well, where you're listening. And I'm like, I couldn't tell if it was some of the guest vocals that we'd have mm -hmm. on this record. Uh, but yeah, it seems as though, especially watching like a behind the scenes video on the Harvest Floor, 
Uh, this yeah. is kind of where this era of the band is kind of where it begins. It's like you said, it's a little buried, but it's there. It's absolutely there. So when, you know, people kind of complain or maybe critique that style of, of uh, his vocal delivery, it was always there. It yeah. was always apparent that that's where he was trying to go with some of the things. Yep. But um, I loved it. I, I was uh, it was kind of a neat little like Easter egg thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah. hey, I remember that. The, the, those are there. Um you know, uh, the next two tracks I really want to dig on are obviously I don't want to skip over these applied human defragmentation is great. The earthling is great. Yeah. Fantastic song. Mm-hmm. Actually, the earthling is anytime that track comes on, I always take a look down at what I'm doing. It's like, oh, yeah, that's that song. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, Polyps, dude. I, great song. I love it. I love the effect on it. it again, I've mentioned uh, human remains during this series as well. It has yep. like kind of that like choppy little effect. So when we later part of this episode when we are digging into the harvest floor there's one song in particular on that album that is just nothing but that yep and it's like it is whew, that album's got some stuff that literally could make could make you break your eardrums <laughs> that it's so just like dissonant and nauseating um that's kind of a theme with this episode is with this album karma bloody karma and the harvest floor they just got the most despicable, the most nauseating, the most almost abrasive. This is probably the most abrasive period of this band um, and most technical period of this band. And to think that they've this whole band's output is just abrasive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the execution of how abrasive this music is. No one really lumps that in. Like bands like Converge are so abrasive sounding. But you lump in a band like this that's just been like that since almost day one. Yep. Um, but my favorite track on the album, my favorite song title that I mentioned in the last episode, yep. and it's a very obvious throwback to one of the greatest movies ever written, which is The Great Outdoors, <laughs> uh, Lips and Assholes. Um, I have used this phrase for so many things in my life of, man, it's raining lips and assholes outside. We we talk about that movie so frequently. Yeah. Let me introduce Mr. Big Dick to Mr. Urinal Cake. Mr. Urinal Cake. Great line. The old 96er. I mean, <laughs> I love that movie. If it comes on, it, especially if it comes on, like it usually does on TV where it's like Uncle Buck and then the great yeah. outdoors. I won't, you won't hear from me for the next like four yeah. hours. It's, it's me, uh, Smokey's, uh, Smokey's cousin, Horny Hor- the Bear. Horny the Bear. <laughs> Horny the Bear. Big, bear, uh, big bald bear chase me. But great song. Uh, yes. It features some more guests appearances. Loads of them. By the Locust. Yep. Uh, you have Gabe Serbian, uh, ex-cattle decapitation member at mm-hmm. this point, uh, still in the Locust. Justin Pearson, of course, of the Locust and 3-1-G, who is mm-hmm. essentially responsible for this band kind of generating a grassroots hardcore audience, which would enable yes. them to get signed to uh, Metal Blade Records, get, kind of generate this fan base. Uh, Robert Bray, also of the Locusts, as well as uh, some other uh, groups like Holy Molar. Um, I think he also appeared on some Bastard Noise records. He taught a little bit uh, at the Art Institute of California. But yeah, three Locust members kind of continuing yep. that connection with the Locusts uh, are are featured on Humanure. We should, um, you should touch on how um, Justin Pearson actually uh, shared the last episode. Yeah, it was very and nice. Thank you. Thank him a lot for that. Yeah, thanks for you know, getting we, it out there. That really was so appreciate cool. That. Yeah, three one G. I mean, it felt like he just kind of logged into all of his separate accounts yeah. and really like 
shared it. So I really appreciate that. That was so cool. Uh, we heard a little bit from Dave Astor, so that was nice as well. But that was that was cool. Um, yeah. So like, thank you so much to them for sharing it, and I think we we kind of uh, appreciate the listenership if you're checking these out. So um, mm-hmm. we're gonna keep doing them. But yeah, so they're on this, which is really neat. I think there's a gonna be a lot of like guest appearances on the next few albums as well that are are very yeah. interesting, and um, they kind of always have this very um, eclectic. I would say is probably yes. the best way to describe it. Like a uh, roster of uh, different musicians and, and people involved with some of the uh, arrangements on this, uh, including the locust. So that, that's cool that that kind of sticks with that. Uh, especially, yeah, the next track, right? That kind of yeah, rounds it out. I, w- I want to hear what you've got to say on this one because Whew. this is, it's, it's not pleasant. So um, the album essentially ends with this outro. Uh, it is a, uh, like a noise kind of ambient track by the name of men before swine. And it is the most unsettling um, kind of just abrasive. I don't know how else you would describe it, but it's essentially like pig squeal, like 10 minutes of pig squealing. Um, There's like, I'm assuming they're being slaughtered. Uh, It kind of just to tie it in with Pink Floyd again, it kind of sounds like the, I don't know if you would describe it as like a fan or a, uh, it kind of sounds like a dryer almost like welcome to the yeah. machine, uh, which was yeah. featured. I wish you were here. Um, it also kind of sounds reminiscent of the, uh, when we did our Magruder grind episode where you have like the Jonestown sample, Man. again, just super unsettling and chilling. Uh, uh, yeah. Is, you, is the word, the, the hair just raises yeah. up on your wrist. Um, it also kind of reminded me of uh, Suicide, which is like a no wave duo yeah. out of New York. Yeah, um, they have a song, a song that um, I want to say it's like Frankie Teardrops uh, that influenced uh, the uh, the Nebraska record by uh, Bruce Springsteen. Which I no love. kidding, I, I did a I did an episode of this on a on a live radio show where we connect um, kind of like two very unlikely artists, and so we there was a uh, I had heard this uh, book that was written about the about nebraska and uh just how this strangely enough this suicide this like no wave duo inspired uh perhaps one of bruce springsteen's like darkest records of all time arguably arguably his darkest and arguably his best i love it so much Um, that is such a great record i've yet to dig into that book but i do have it yeah Um, i'm in the midst of reading slaughterhouse five which oh yeah you know, third unofficial uh, co-host Justin Swindle. Let me borrow. So Solid that's movie. been that is um that that's interesting. There's a movie. There's a movie. Yeah, I watched Oof, it with okay. Swindle. Yeah, he, we'll, I, uh, I never read the book, I'll but I've seen the movie. That. Man, we'll dig we'll dig into that book later because uh, I really want to focus on talking about uh this these lovely disgusting records we've been talking the, about. The uh, it it sounds like a, you're descending into hell when you listen to this uh, outro yes. track. Um. The interesting thing about this as well, obviously, uh, a lot of experimentation. Mm-hmm. They're known for that. Uh, you see some return uh, characters on this track as well, who are sure uh, Scott Miller, again, ex Cattle Decapitation. Uh, he's the original vocalist and guitar player of the band. He appeared on the him. 90. Yeah, they've, he disappeared and then he showed up again. 97's uh, 10 Torments of the Damn Demo. Uh, of course, he would be replaced by Travis Ryan. You also have uh, Chris Pooley. Uh, who I believe played in a band called Eat the Living. But yeah, they, they're they responsible for some of the more noisy programming and electronics that are featured on this outro, which, yeah, you just kind of sit there for 10 minutes and you're just so uncomfortable. But yeah. it really, you know, helps 
encapsulate the theme of the record, uh, kind of turning the tables on mankind. It is a very anti-human record. Many of their records are, but this one in particular kind of sets the stage for uh, what is to come. So the the one thing I wanted to kind of touch on with catch, you know, being on the tail end of this album is that I I very rarely listen to the whole outro because mm. it is so long. Yes. This this on paper is a very short record, but that outro extends it out about as you said about 9 or 10 minutes. And usually I will skim through that just because one the album was already abrasive enough. Yeah. Uh, but when you get to that, it's almost, I, I, I can listen to death metal every single day. It won't phase me. I love it. I never get bored with it. Um, but this album with that outro plays a little long sometimes. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's my only slight gripe, but that's just a personal gripe. This is, this is a great record. Yeah. It's been great revisiting this record. It was, uh, their longest to date at this point, uh, Mm -hmm. clocking in at like, 47 minutes, 31 seconds. Um, never felt like it was a tiresome. Like it, it was just so interesting and so unique. Um, such a joy to listen to from, from start to finish. Uh, I definitely understand what you mean by, you know, yeah. I, I can't sit through that Magruder grind sample uh, at the end yeah. of the self-titled, but you know, just to fully, I think you should at least once, you know, really to get yeah. like a feel for the record. But, um, I was, I was so pleasantly surprised, uh, and uh, it was so fun to go back and listen to this record. Uh, some of the touring they did, just to kind of touch on that very briefly, uh, they had some various dates I found. They were uh, kind of uh, doing some shows with uh, kind of maybe an up-and-coming band at the time, uh, Label Mates, Black Dahlia Murder. They were in between yep. Unhollowed and uh, Miasma. Uh, they did yep. some dates with Goat Whore, uh, Deicide, Jungle Rot, uh, Darkest Hour, Between the Buried and Me. Um, so you kind of see some of the trends um, yeah. in, in metal and hardcore at the time. I mean, it's, we're going to touch on this in the later portions of this episode. Um, cattle decapitation started really coming into fruition during the period of time that death core started yes. becoming really big and cattle themselves are an influence on yes. that form of music as well as some of the modern metal core. However, they would always get kind of cast to the wayside mm-hmm. when it came to that. It took years later for them to finally find that niche that they needed. Um, but I mean, when you're doing, when you're doing tours with, you know, label mates like the Black Dahlia Murder, who are this extremely young band, you know, they were probably in their early twenties at this point. Yeah. Uh, you know, Unhallowed is their debut album. It's a fun debut record. Uh, we're going to have episodes on the Black Dahlia Murder in their own right, as well as Goat Whore. Yeah. They were touring with Goat Whore before they were signed to Metal Blade. That's crazy. Um, you know, DSI. Classic band Jungle Rot, not not as known, but a pretty straightforward death metal band. Uh, Darkest Hour, which you and I have seen. Yep. Uh, great metalcore band. Great, you know, definitely an In Flames and uh, At the Gates influenced metalcore band. And Between the Buried Me is the weird one, right? Yeah. You know, that's that's the one where you go, how did these two bands tour together? <laughs> um, but during that period, Between the Buried Me were gnarly they were really heavy at that period of time now they've kind of gone more into just like prog rock territory um but i mean they they put you know foot to pavement and they were touring hard for this album that's one thing i've learned about metal blade records is if you're signed to that label you're touring yep 
You're you're doing some form of touring unless you're an, an outlier band of some there's sort. There's a there's a tour in particular on the harvest floor where I was like, oh my god, you guys did that? Like they they yeah. were working hard. They they didn't yeah. slow down. I mean, if there's one thing that can be, you know, uh praised about this band, aside from their their creative uh output, is how hard they work and how much energy and focus goes into um making sure everything sounds great on record, but also live. They they really hit the road hard. Um yeah. We kind of shift gears from this record, uh, and I, I kind of wondered, how could you release an album <laughs> like this in particular and outdo yourself? Because when I revisited it, I was like, Here man, this is, you guys are cooking. Like, how could you outdo yourself? And then we get into the release of their fifth album, Karma, Bloody man. Karma. And, you know, this marks 10 years as a band at this point. Um, you kind of see, like, when you look back, like, a retrospectively, like, all right, this band started as essentially a side project and I don't think there was ever really an intention in the beginning to get where they are now, but you've arrived. You've essentially started to find your groove a little bit here uh, and you released this album, essentially your your best album at this point, 10 years on. Uh, insane, insane record. We touched on this in the last episode. This was my introduction to the band. Um, I caught onto this album probably in the back half of the album's life cycle, maybe early 07, um, is when uh, my friend Will, who will may listen to this, may not, um, you know, we really got into this record a lot. Um, I love the artwork on this album. I and didn't. I, I, see, I, I didn't, though. And, and that's I fine. Think the, I think the band themselves are probably more in agreement with that one because this was like a plan B artwork. This isn't the yeah. original artwork. There's a interview with Travis Ryan on like aggressive tendencies where he kind of yeah. ranks them or something and goes mm-hmm. through each of them. Yeah. He had a d- completely different theme in mind. I'm not really exactly sure what that was, but uh, I think they let kind of Wes run with this one perhaps. Yeah. And, and this is ultimately what came through, uh, kind of like a, um, Hindu a deity, yeah, deity yeah. that, you know, as obviously reflective of the title of the, of the, the album. But so this was your first introduction to the band. Yeah. So I view this, I view the artwork, um, when I listen to albums, uh, there's always a color that'll pop up. I think that's called synesthesia. Um, and obviously the artwork on this album is red, um, very and hues of red, but I always view the artwork as, all right, humanure had the cattle, um, you know, defecating a human head. Yep. But this is when you walk inside the slaughterhouse and this is what you're fucking met with. Yeah. Is how I interpret it. It's like, all right, here's here's this thing you now have to deal with. Um, <laughs> Which it's it, great. It will tie into the, the following record as well. It sure does. Uh, yeah. I, you know, honestly, kind of really just honestly underwhelmed by the artwork a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, just knowing what Wes is capable of. Yeah. On, on previous records and, and following records. Um, you know, it's a little underwhelming for me. Even the intro, um, you know, is I loved some of the samples that they did on previous records like Human Jerky. Uh, Homivore doesn't have a, an intro, but I mean, coming off of Human Newer, I love that piano part so much. I was I yeah. was kind of fully expecting them to do something similar, but you hear like blades being drawn, and yep. then it kind of it's starts, a very which, simple intro. That's fine. I, you know, I don't, you know, it's not like make or break, but I was just like, ah, oh, I get a little disappointed a little bit on that, but, um, it pushes the, I didn't think it were, po- it was going to be possible 
to push the intensity even further on this record coming off of Humanure, but they absolutely did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say that when I think of this record, I think of a lot of like death comparisons, kind mm-hmm. of how we've talked in previous episodes about how when you look at a catalog like death, you know, Tampa, mm-hmm. Florida, um, there are eras of a band like that where you know that yes. like, okay, there are, there is a unique characteristic to each um, era of that band. When I hear like human, it doesn't sound anything like, you know, um, scream bloody gore. Doesn't right. sound anything like, you know, the sound of perseverance there. This is to me is kind of like their human era, their symbolic era. There's definitely some of that influence on this. I find, um, but it's technically, technically advanced like the previous record, but they also find a way to be heavier. And I want to say yes. that there are, there is a ton of breakdowns on this record. There's a ton of like rhythmic kind of punchy uh, chug riffs. It's all over the place. I, I couldn't, I just was kind of laughing when I was, when I was yeah. listening to it, not in the same way that, you know, human jerky, you know, when I heard that for the first time, it it's funny because it is so abrasive and ridiculous. And, and I think that certainly translates to where the mindset of this band was at the time. I was, I was laughing because it was just how, why, what, what, the, who, wh- yeah. how does this happen? How does a record like this get written where it is so damn heavy and, and, and technical and, uh, you can still hear everything that is being played on it. Um, yeah, I'd like to hear your your thoughts on that. This album does not get the credit it deserves. It you know when you're when the album after it is kind of the beginning of the next era of this band, uh, and then you've got all the albums that came after that. Which with each of those albums, they kind of become more legendary as they're released. This album seldom gets brought up, and it's a bummer. Because, man, it's got some great tracks on it. As you said, they've added new touches to what they're playing. Um, There's more of a chromatic feel to some of it. But it's not just strict like slam chromaticism. This is like, as you said, there are breakdowns, but not in the kind of traditional hardcore slash metalcore sense. Like these are breakdowns where like, I mean, I I can hear them in my head right now. And I can go, yep, this this band knew what they were doing at this point in time. This is a this was a great introduction to this band for me. Um, I, I feel like if I had maybe gotten humanure first, I probably wouldn't have stuck around as easily as I did once I heard this record. Um, it was great to hear this album and go backwards. That's fair. Uh, with that in mind, um, this was this was and is a fantastic fantastic technical catchy precise record uh, it's a little bit shorter than the prior record i think this one rings in at about 34 minutes maybe 40 minutes uh somewhere in that vein yep. um and i mean and it's what i like about it too is the production is very to date but it's not over polished albums in this time period had a production because of the loudness war that dated to that time. And it's such a bummer, but the production on this is handled by someone I never thought would have handled an album like this. I mean, Billy Anderson who has done, I mean, he's done neurosis uh, through silver and blood high on fires. The artist self-defense surrounded by thieves. Mr. He worked on Mr. Bungle's disco Volante, which yeah. in itself is a bag of mixed nuts. Uh, the California record sleeps, Holy mountain dope smoker. I mean, 
we could keep going. I mean, you're literally wearing, he worked with Paul Bearer as well. You're literally wearing a shirt as of right there now. Um, yeah, Dragged Into the Sunlight, Bell Witch, Amon Ra. I mean, there's so many. Yeah. And uh, yeah, whereas the, uh, I want to say the previous record um, would have been handled by Bill Medi- Med- Metoyer. Is that it? Yeah, I know he he was kind of more. Uh, he like, was like Metal Blades guy. Yeah, he worked with like Armored Saint. Um, Slayer. I think he worked. Yeah, Slayer. Honey uh, the Chapel. Sirith Ungle. Uh, there was there was a quite a few records that he had yeah. worked on before, but that was like they were. It was kind of a one and done deal, I believe. Yeah, he was uh, a little bit of background into him is like he was the guy I believe Metal Blade would call like, hey, we have a band, you know, they we we can only budget X amount. You've kind of been a Metal Blade guy for he's probably on the payroll. Uh, he definitely seems like, hey, any Metal Blade band has probably worked with him to an extent at some point. Um, I mean, let's we've already talked about the intro of this. Let's kind of start breaking into the track listing on this thing. Yeah. Um, unintelligent design hits immediately like <laughs> it's the right it's amount. Just, it's the right amount of virtuosity with all the caveman riff. I found yeah. like it's all there. Like his Josh's playing is like, I just can't even begin to tell you how impressed I was by, I mean, you, like you said, t- like we mentioned, there's, there's the breakdowns more in, you know, the, the cattle decapitation realm, but I mean, he's sweeping. He is, um, I mean, there's some pinch harmonics on 1000 times decapitation that are yep. incredible. Success is hanging by the neck, which is track three. That's the first song I ever heard. Oh, really? By this band. That is the first song, and it it opens amazing. I I believe that song. You're familiar with Metal Injection, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I believe for a long time, anytime you would watch a Metal Injection video, that was the intro song really? that they used for years. And then I believe the Red Chord did one for them a, a while later. But this was their intro track to a lot of videos for a long time. It's funny you mentioned that because a lot of the interviews that I found from this era of the band were often mm-hmm. featured for metal injection yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is, <laughs> there is just wild guitar stuff going on in this album. It's not even um, just the playing, but, or at least like actual licks and, and riffs, but there's like, there's just some textures, like even just yeah. little, little details, little f- like fiddling around that. Again, when you listen to it a couple times, you, you find something new every time you hear it. And, uh, that is just perfect for, you know, me as a fan for like return listeners. You, you're just always going to find something unique about each song for a four piece band. The amount of work that he is putting in, because if listening to this album, this album is faster than humanure and yep. they're playing at that tempo, that pace. And he he very much is repeating parts but it does feel like and sound like each part is slightly different each time with how he's attacking the instrument mm. uh, because he's attacking the instrument. He is playing at a blinding speed, all of these intricate parts, all of this. And uh, we haven't really touched on this, but obviously the drums are a big proponent in any like extreme metal band, a huge proponent. You got to be able to do, you have to be able to blast. You got to be able to play double kick, that sort of thing. And what we don't touch on is you can actually hear the bass guitar in these records. Yes. Um, it's a very, it's a very specific sound. It is definitely a, it's definitely a specter bass, which is universally known as like this rock and roll kind of bass guitar. Um, it's definitely a specter bass with some distortion kicked on, on it, but it 
it fits. All of those spots where the guitars are playing these really high, intricate parts, there is still a fundamental foundation underneath that, especially with all the blasting and like rolls and stuff going on. Um, I mean, as you said, 1,000 times decapitation, great song title, great song. Um, Carcass Derek just breakdowns of plenty yep. all in that thing. Total Gore has some of the coolest sounding vocals in it. We have a, Speaking of, we have another guest vocalist on this track, Joey Karam of The Locust. He also plays keyboards on this track and I think a few other things. But uh, yeah, again, another tie into The Locust yeah. on, on Total Gore. Um, bereavement. Um, there's more breakdowns. There's yep. uh, more some noise uh, on this track in particular. Uh, it definitely feels like something Full of Hell would have been influenced by as well. Um, I want to say the the back half of this record is probably my favorite. It feels like when you when you turn it on from the first track going to the end, there's a build. It just keeps yeah. getting uh, more ridiculous and abrasive and technical and heavy uh there's just it doesn't let up and it just keeps escalating and escalating until it just kind of uh finishes out at the last track but um you get oh to like you know a song Here like suspended go. in and copper there it is uh some of the there's i mean there's so many stops and starts and uh they're playing with different speeds uh there's like a really cool clean um guitar included on that track like with some arpeggiated chords with a double bass kind of flying underneath um there's a like a galloping riff breakdown um perhaps my favorite song on the on the album that that breakdown is the one i always think of Mm -hmm. on this record yeah that thing is nuts you know tune down a half step arguably heavier than some of the stuff i've heard that is tuned down to like b or c sharp or whatever um it just clearly shows what you can do uh, this this goes back to our James Wallwork episode. Um, use what you have. Yes. Right. Use what you have and use it well. And you know they did it. Uh, suspended in copper light. You know we've talked about that track. Yep. And that is that is a bonkers track. But then immediately <laughs> you're following it up with wow. alone at the landfill. This has, I mean, sweeps upon sweeps. Yep. Um, there's guitar harmonies. Um, some backing vocals with the help of uh, Billy Anderson as well. Um, and then it, I want to say transitions into this very like sparse kind of piano section, perhaps yeah. um, black metal vocals. The, the, the most, my favorite part of the song is the uh, kind of like group vocals, maybe towards the end. Yeah. There's a line yes. um, in our, in our own contamination, we are forced to drown hideous, shameless, toxicant. And it almost feels like you are literally drowning with the vocals, all the different characters that are kind of yep. yelling out like in, in pain. Like it is very, again, I'm going to say it, I'm going to be using the hell out of this word. It's very unsettling, but it is effective. It is a descent into almost one of Dante's uh, chapters. You yep. know, it, it, it feels that way. Um, there are only a handful of albums I've listened to that can actually transport you to just this uh biblical uh sense of damnation and just the title of the album makes it feel that way the artwork ties in with it uh the tracks on this thing um i mean after alone at the landfill you go into the title track um then you go into the new dawn which is a little bit slower yes um you know 
it's it's got guitar harmonies in it, which I always like when bands with one guitar player will have like harmonies all over the record because then I'm interested to see how do they recreate that live. Yes. And at this period, I'm sure there was a some sort of synth pedal he probably used, like a pog, or he probably used a harmonizer pedal, which you can find throughout to help out with those. Um, I mean, we've touched on this a lot. You mentioned how this is kind of their human era, Um, you know, human individual thought patterns, that kind of period of time. Um, You know, it's, it's wild to think that we're comparing it to death, which, you know, None of this band actually sounds like death. Yeah. It's just the it's just the sense of this is that period. This is the progression yeah. that you're seeing of of this band during this period. Um, you know, it, this is a again, we've said this a lot. You're, we're going to say this a lot on the coming reviews of this uh, of the rest of the catalog. Um, it's just a wild band. Yeah. And to think that this band became this now genre defying band is so crazy to see where it came from. Uh, and then you get another bit of a, um, you get another outro track. Yep. Of on pride this. and flatulence. Gotta have a fart joke in there. Gotta, gotta do it. Um, again, more keyboards from Joey Karam of the Locust. Um, it has a, a similar feel to alone uh, at the landfill with, just these voices kind of crying out in pain. There's some noise elements on this track as well. Uh, yeah, it really, again, I'll say it again. It was really the back half of this record that made an impression on me and it ended here and you're just kind of left, you know, hardly standing, you know, just like, what did I just listen to? I mean, this was my introduction to the band. This was, I remember listening to this a lot when it, when I got it, uh, I actually think I don't think I owned it on CD. I think what happened is my friend Will bought the album. I went home, ripped it to my computer and just threw it on my iPod um, and just had it. So the first time I actually owned a physical copy is when I bought the vinyl quite a few years ago. Um, And, you know, I didn't get to see the band until the harvest floor, um, but some big change happened between you know um karma bloody karma and the harvest floor yeah we had a drummer change yes we did have a drummer change we had one dave mcgraw this is uh the harvest floor i guess we'll just kind of get into that record perhaps i think metal blade promoted it as the 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 most anti-human record of all time you have a lineup change between dave mcgraw uh taking over drum duties from mike laughlin um, this is his first album with the band. It's funny. There's a uh, some of the resources I used for this episode in particular were a um, there's a behind the scenes video. Um, it's like 20 minutes. It's a documentary, kind of the making of the Harvest War. Mm-hmm. I think it appeared on, as like a bonus feature for the CD. So the pre order I had of the Harvest Floor had that with it. Perfect. So there's like a video on YouTube. You can find it. Um, but Dave McGraw, just a little background. He's born in Miami, raised in Santiago, Chile. Um, mm-hmm. I think he moved to Little Rock uh, around the time of his 17th birthday. And so he cut his teeth kind of going to Downtown Records, which I've heard uh, Nate Garrett uh, explain a little bit. Oh, um, Downtown Music? Uh, yes. Yeah, Downtown Music, uh, which is owned by members of uh, Wake. And, I believe so. Uh, Shitfire. Uh, he also mentions that this is kind of the one of the few places you could find underground music in Arkansas, as mm-hmm. well as Vino's, which you also mentioned on the yep. show a few times as well. Uh, he eventually moved 
to Seattle and begins playing a tour with bands like uh, Sleep Terror. Uh, I think he meets Ooh. Travis Ryan uh, at the Robot Mosh Fest in Wisconsin. And so I think from what I understand, Travis Ryan was like uh, kind of uh, stalking him a little bit. He'd, yes. he'd heard what he was doing with Sleep Terror and the the theme of like, could you imagine what this guy would do in, in, in our band? Like what, what could he bring uh, to cattle decapitation um, that wasn't already occurring? The thing he brought were Gravity Blast. Yes. This um, is the first record to feature Gravity Blast by the band. So Dave was like 24. Yeah. I believe when he joined young. the band. Uh, really young. Uh, gravity Rolls, just out the fucking gate. Um, if, for those that aren't familiar with what a Gravity Roll is or Gravity Blast is, it's the rubber pencil trick, yeah. essentially. Uh, drummers would be able to explain it a lot more in detail than I can. Anytime I see guys doing it, I love what it sounds like. I love what it is but it just looks like the rubber pencil trick yep. uh, to me. Um, this is this is probably the most refined record of this period of the band. Um, this is when they started writing songs uh, and looking at, at, at looking at the album as a long player, right? Yep. Songs, hook, maybe more focus on hooks, uh, more focus on what the song is going to be and more focus on even... Um, kind of a concept of an extent. Um, you know, a couple of things I want to add is that this album again, produced by Billy Anderson, mm-hmm. they stuck with that. They didn't, if it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, this album went on to become, you know, a hall of fame entry into decibel magazine. That's right. Uh, if you don't, if you don't have it, if you don't have it, you should definitely check it out. I got the uh, issue right here. It's definitely, it is definitely uh, used in helping us kind of collect Absolutely. On this uh, episode in particular. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Billy Anderson. I mean, I think his inclusion in this record really allowed them, if they had an idea, you know, sometimes uh, maybe a uh, producer or an engineer is going to maybe kind of try to rein in a band and keep them in within certain parameters. If they had an idea, it sounded like he was at least willing to. Yeah. Um, you know, humor the band. They really just went out there on this record. There was so there's so many layers, uh, so many different little details that are included on this record in particular. And I, I believe that he is likely to be yeah. um, the person who allowed them to kind of experiment with different sounds and whatnot. This album probably has one of the most fucked up pieces of artwork yes. as its cover that I've seen. I mean, it's literally lead, leading humans to the harvest floor of a. Um, of a butcher essentially yeah. to just be like processed like cattle. It is despicable and it doesn't get as much like it doesn't get as much view because it doesn't seem as like grotesque as what it is. Like, yeah, if you look at the cover of like humanure, yeah, I mean, that's immediately in your face. Yep. It's right there. And then you have like, as we touched on karma, bloody karma, maybe that artwork wasn't as like, um, wasn't as grasping, but it almost seems like unless you're really looking at this one, you're not seeing what you need to see. Yeah. And it's it's despicable. It's dark. I mean, I think Travis Ryan said it best in that Aggressive Tendencies interview where I don't understand why a, an album cover like Humanure is viewed with such disdain because it's it's a ridiculous thing. But then you have yeah. essentially what's occurring on the cover of The Harvest Floor, which is almost quite literally occurred before in history. It's, it's dark. It is a, it is a very bleak album cover. 
the origins of this uh, album title in particular are featured on a split they did. Um, and uh, it kind of, which it was kind of released between uh, Karma, Bloody Karma and mm-hmm. Harvest Floor. And it's featured in a song titled No Future. I crawled along the harvest floor. And so then it's like kind of also featured in the Karma, Bloody Karma album cover. There's mm-hmm. the cow is hovering above the harvest floor. Yep. So this theme is kind of carried over through several releases and then it culminates into the actual album that was released in 2009. So I'm glad you touched on 09. Uh, obviously, we like to always kind of list a stream of records that came out mm-hmm. in um, in the period. Uh, and just do a quick recap. Uh, we didn't really mention that for Karma, Bloody Karma, but to show what was coming out during that period, just a couple right off the top of my head. Uh, you had Lamb of God's Sacrament record, yep. which was a big record. You had Killswitch Engages, uh, As Daylight Dies. You had, uh, I believe, Colors by Between the Barrier Me maybe came out in 07. Um, so right around that same time. Uh, you also had Cannibal Corpse's Kill yep. coming out uh, around that same period of time. Um, no Heroes, Converge. Uh, a lot of repeating names here uh, that were about the list from 09. Uh, but in 09, you had albums like you had classic records by a lot of bands. I mean, you had Baroness's uh, Blue Record that came out, um, Mastodon's Crack the Sky, uh, Converge, Axe to Fall, Isis Wavering Radiant, which I believe is their last record and is a fantastic album. Uh, Revocation's debut, Existence is Futile, a fucking portal record came out in yeah. 09. Uh, and Between the Buried and Me's The Great Misdirect. Yep. Um, Again, metal at this point in time was probably for that period for underground music was kind of at a peak. Um, also, what we didn't discuss, what uh, hasn't been listed here is um, you have Cannibal Corpses, The Evisceration Plague. Oh, man, which came out like came out in March of that. It's year. kind of crazy to look back and think that this album also came out the same time because that was a real that was a really um, uh, pivotal record for me personally and my, mm-hmm. and my listening habits. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm, you're a little older than me and perhaps I, I think I was still maybe stuck in some of the more traditional kind of new wave of British heavy metal and thrash metal stuff. But yeah, just an, like a band that had been doing it for so long and to come out in 09 and release the evisceration plague is like, yeah, it was incredible. Um, I hadn't heard this record in particular yet, but I mean, it seems as though they had really kind of found their groove. They had found their niche and, uh, you have the harvest floor. And, uh, so we mentioned you have Travis Ryan, you have Josh Elmore, you have Troy Oftedal. This is his last, uh, album with the band. Um, the one thing that I'd also found interesting about his playing on this record, because you see it in the behind the scenes. Um, I didn't realize he was playing with a pick Mm -hmm. and, you know, you can hear it. You have, obviously, as a bass player, you yep. have an ear for something like that. But I would have figured with, you know, with the speed and the playing and some of the the arrangements that uh, are are carried over on bass, I, I guess I hadn't noticed it before. But yeah, he was a, he was playing a pick on this record, or that's how he plays. Yep, just that very, um, it's it's his bass sound is very much a Spectre sound. Like those basses sound like nothing ever, nothing else ever. Um, you know, I've, I've heard clones of those. I've heard preamps that sound very similar, but, uh, if you play a specter bass, that's what they sound like. Mm-hmm. That is that sound. Um, uh, you know, that's that same bass was used by like Newstead on, uh, the black album. Um, you know, 
Debatably, it may have been used on Dr. Feelgood uh, by whoever <laughs> played bass on that record. Uh, Rex Brown, Spectre Basses. Like, you know, those are big, those are a wonderful instrument uh, that I have been lucky to own throughout the years. Um, but, you know, let's, one big thing about tonality and kind of what was going on in the metal world at this point was deathcore was at its fucking peak. Yeah. It was. It was at its peak. It was 2009. Um, and again, like we touched on with Karma, Bloody Karma, uh, Cattle Decapitation was considered an influence on that by a lot of those bands, uh, as well as like a band like the Red Chord uh, or even Black Dahlia Murder. Mm-hmm. Even, and all three of these bands that I just listed get lumped in with that, even though they're a little bit more varied than that. Um, you know, they're just kind of younger guys that ended up playing death metal during a period of time where a lot of other younger guys were playing death metal. Right. And they wanted to separate themselves from this movement. I've actually seen uh, live footage of the band playing during this period of time where Travis, who is kind of known to take the piss out on a lot of stuff, uh, was just laying into people about coming to see deathcore bands on a tour package that they were on playing with deathcore bands. And I think all the dudes in that band, those other bands were probably just like, we love them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Lay into it. Um, But you make a good point. Because uh, you're saying that this is a, um, it's a new era. You have a lot mm-hmm. of younger bands coming up and there is a pressure. I think they have been noted as saying uh, that there's a pressure. You're kind of getting up in your, your years playing music. You're in your mid thirties. Uh, now you have all these, you know, 18, early 20 year old somethings coming up and, and playing um, maybe a little, you're like, oh man, they're ripping. There's, yeah. there's a youthful energy to this. And so you kind of have to make a statement in your own sense. Like, can we keep up? Can we, um, you know, go toe to toe with some of these groups? And I, I feel like you put out a record like the harvest floor and you absolutely can. Um, it seemed like writing for this album was essentially pretty easy. Uh, you watch yeah. that video and everyone's really having a blast and yeah. it's not more on the writing is not more or less like on one person's shoulders everyone's bringing things to the table, especially a new guy uh, like Dave McGraw, where, you know, you essentially meet this guy at a festival. You're kind of uh, trying to scout him for, for maybe uh, a a couple of years or so. And then you finally get him. um, And you've never really written with a a guy like this before. Um, It could really go one way or the other. And so it seemed like it, it, everything went pretty well. I want to say they went on a tour uh, together um, he was kind of filling in. And then after the tour, he became a full-time member and he has been to this day. He joined at the tail end of 07. Yes. So they went on the, they went on a uh, fall tour in 07, um, where he basically packed up his things. And he went to San Diego to rehearse for the tour. And, uh, it was the death by decibels and it featured Vader, uh, malevolent creation, uh, cattle decapitation, Abigail Williams, light this city and Vail Amaya to kind of give you a glimpse of what was going on around this time. So, uh, he becomes a full-time member. And they pretty much begin writing the album right away um, throughout like 07 and 08. And uh, they enter in the studio August 1st of 08, Sharkbite Studios in Oakland, California. Um, This record was mostly written from scratch. There wasn't Mm -hmm. maybe a few things left over, maybe a riff here or there, but mostly they they started uh, at square one. And uh, like I mentioned, became very natural. They're feeding off of one another. And I, I think it shows that on this record that they're they're having a good time, uh, and they put dedicated a lot of time into rehearsing and writing. Um, I want to say they were 
working odd jobs and they would record, or I'm sorry, they would rehearse, you know, maybe four or five times a week after the jobs, you know, they're really putting a lot of energy into this record. You know, when, when a band puts in that much work into a product, um, into an album, into whichever release, um, you can definitely see it. You can see the bands that actually put in a lot of work. And when you listen to this album, you definitely hear it. You definitely hear. And if the recording was seamless, um, you know, that, that, that's a great thing because I mean, I know from experience what it's like to go into a recording uh, a little underprepared. Um, you're wasting time, you're wasting money, you're wasting everybody else's time and money. It's, it's never great. And knowing the budget these guys probably had at the time, um, they had to be on their P's and Q's. They almost had to have uh, everything ton- tonally set probably before they went in. Uh, they put a lot of work into it. It's, it's definitely being seen on this record. But it's got, um, obviously, Billy Anderson's back at the helm, but you've got a couple other names attached to this for the recording and mixing and everything. Zach Oren did uh, the drums for the yes. record. Uh, recorded all the drums. Then you also have Alan Duchess that is mastering the record in which if you look at his mastering, you know, catalog, like psh, any record that's came out in the last 30 years, his name is attached to. Yeah, it, it seemed like they had to go in uh, early. I, I want to say Dave maybe didn't have the opportunity to be there for the entire recording process of the album. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did it like maybe a week or so before and just laid out those drum tracks with uh, with Zacharin. And uh, he didn't record with a click track, which is kind of insane to to see. Like at the at the speed at which they're playing, you would think that you would have to. You know, I'm not yeah. aware of. I've never been in a recording atmosphere like this. Um, so to go in and play so technically, and you know, you really meticulous with uh, with your songwriting, it, it kind of blew me away that he wasn't recording with a click track on this. Well. Now, now hearing that you can actually hear a little bit of flow mm. throughout the record, a little bit of weight, but it's not enough that you're ever going to go, wow, that tempo jumped so yeah, far. For sure. Um, I mean, it's not enough to make you be jarred by it. No. Uh, but it is wild to know that, again, a drummer like that not using a click track is wild, especially in like, you know, by today's standards, mm. when a lot of a lot of drums are recorded to a click track just to assure that everything runs the way it should. Uh, and recorded to kind of the grid. Um, the recording of this took about six weeks uh, from the looks of it, which was probably more time than they really had to <laughs> uh, record much of anything they'd ever done um, from the output of it. It's, you can definitely see they had a little bit more time. Yeah, You can definitely hear it. You can definitely hear it with how the songs are structured, with how uh, everything is laid to laid the paper and all of the sound experiment that's on this album. Uh, I mean, uh, we're going to go through the tracks in a moment, but you've got that kind of haunting vocal track right before the last song on the album with Jarbo from Swans on it. That is just terrifying. Travis obviously has a an eclectic musical taste, and mm-hmm. it he's a big fan of Swans, apparently. Um, Billy Anderson worked on perhaps his favorite Swans record as well and was able to make that connection happen. Uh, when he had like brought it up, like, oh, I, I think it would be nice to have Jarbo on this on this particular song. I'm, of course, talking about uh, Regret and the Grave, um, which I believe was like the second song written for the album. 
Um, it has a music video, which is pretty great. They filmed at a, a slaughterhouse uh, near their then manager, Jim Mills home. And uh, he, I want to say he was like pretty integral in them getting signed to metal blade. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they uh, popped into this slaughterhouse. They didn't really disclose too much information about the band. And uh, we're kind of able to use uh, this I is think a great they, story. They shot the music video there and did some promo shots as well in, in, a, yep, in that, a day. Yeah. Uh, I mean, those promo shots are in the record. Uh, it's real blood that's on them. Um, you know, uh, and I believe, and I'm sure I'm incorrect in this. I know it's in the Decibel Hall of Fame article where the guy came up to him years later and said, I never got paid. <laughs> and I think Travis was like, I'm not paying a real, I'm not paying a real like slaughterhouse. Yep. Like, sorry, bud. Uh, kind of situation um you know with with seeing those photos it, it definitely like because if you open up the actual gatefold at that time it was like it was a cd booklet which i don't even think cds have those anymore they're mm-hmm. just like a box right um and you could see those photos and i mean it's all it's it's that it's absolutely that area that they're doing it um to kind of piggyback on the Jarbo guest spot you've got a couple other guest spots on this record uh one of my favorite and i'm sure it's a favorite of yours because we love exhumed uh ross sewage yes is is on this album exhumed impaled ghoul um allegedly he's a he's an yeah allegedly uh oakland guy so it was very easy to get ross in the studio i mean i'm sure they had been uh familiar with each other if not friends for quite some time at this point you also have uh dino samis you also have Dino Samis, uh, who is a uh, former member of Dystopia. Uh, he's a former member of Ghoul, allegedly. Uh, Youth Grush, Asunder, Carcinogen. Asunder's cool. Uh, he also, you know, Oakland guy. So again, very easy to get him in. Yep. I think they met up at a uh, show in the area while they were recording the album and uh, basically just asked him if he would be willing to lend some vocals uh, to the album. Uh, I want to say Strangulation also played with Dystopia. Uh, years prior to this so they were certainly familiar with each other you can see him uh doing some of the vocal uh takes like he's doing some like pig noises and then just absolutely like off-kiltered yells on the album i i believe ross is on the song tooth enamel and concrete which we'll get to uh which is a great song title and has that blood curdling intro Mm -hmm. um to it uh you've also got john weiss uh hopefully i'm pronouncing it right which is uh I know him from Bastard Noise yes. more than anything. Yeah. Uh, but he has that great line that I believe is on the song. Man, I, I can remember the vocal line, which I want to join. I want to ride the monolith or <laughs> uh, like I heard that. I was like, God, that is just the harvest floor. So he's on that track. And yeah, he does like electronics and mm-hmm. atmospherics is what he's credited. Um, he also uh, does everything for a project known as uh, Sissy Spacek which uh, I want to say I got turned on through Full of Hell uh, as a Mm -hmm. huge influence on some of the noise uh, aspects of Full of Hell and like the other, I think like Sword Dream is like the side, you know, little side project that Full of Hell does. that's more uh, rooted in ambience and and noise. Um, uh, Jackie Perez Gratz, uh, Electric Cello on a few tracks as well. Um, Known for uh, such projects as Giant Squid, uh, Gracie on uh, Amber Asylum. Uh, and then, of course, you have Jarbo, which I want to say they only intended for her to have like some sort of like minimal part where it was like, OK, maybe hum or sing this melody 
no problem. Then she comes back with this like 16 part vocal choir, you know, arrangement, uh, more, more than they could have ever hoped for. And it really, uh, does wonders for the final tracks of the album. So at one point during the pandemic, Travis was doing this, and I think he still does it on Twitch occasionally, but he was on the cattle IG going through his record collection. Mm -hmm. And it was just one of the coolest things to watch. And like it got on the discussion of Jarbo this I may be making this up just because I heard he was into Bjork, but I I believe they attempted to possibly get Bjork to do this part. Ooh, that possibly would, that would be so either or like Jarbo's catalog alone is the same is kind of in the same vein. Uh, I mean, but from what I grasped, Jar or uh, Bjork may not have been as easy to uh, contact sure. or to get stoked on this idea, um, but I mean. Could you imagine sending out like, hey, you know, would you, we're, we're really we're big fans. We're really interested in maybe getting you to record like a small vocal line on here. And she goes, oh, no problem. It's like, get it, get it back. And it's like a 16 track choir yeah. of like, how long did this take you? Oh, just a couple yeah, minutes. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. Here it is. And it's it's very evident that it's that song that she's on is kind of just an intro for the last track. Yeah, which I want to say they mentioned in uh, the Decibel Hall of Fame article that when they were on tour. Uh, after the release of this record, um, I think she may have stopped into one of the venues uh, to see the show. And he like witnessed, uh, Travis Ryan witnessed her come into the venue and then go back to the merch booth and like buy a hoodie basically. And then, yeah, you know, it was like, I could just give, I could give, thank you so much for being on the record. I could just give this to you. <laughs> I'll just give this to you. Um, this uh, took about six weeks to record. I know they were, they spent, as we mentioned, they spent a lot of time working on the record. They were taking turns sleeping in the studio, uh, as well as uh, sleeping at uh, Sonny Reinhardt of Necrot's house. Man, he used to be in a band called Saviors as well. Oh, there you go. Yep. The uh, album itself uh, runs at about 37 minutes and 31 seconds, uh, a little bit shorter uh, than the other albums that we've mentioned during the uh, run of this episode, but it is still unrelenting unrelenting the gardens of eden a little bit of a quicker intro features some of those like pig squeals uh, but maybe also a first example of uh travis ryan doing some of those like kind of yep. uh, pitched vocals that opening track i mean it just it kicks right into it uh i mean it's it's unrelenting from from the first second to the last second on this album um but you you're right this this may be the first kind of audible um, representation of him attempting those, I think he refers to him as zombie vocals um, for the first time, which you see a lot more of and are more prevalent on the next record. Um, but, I mean, this is, it opens up just like this. There's not even really an intro to this record. It's just like, bam, it's right there. Gardeners of Eden, which, um, I mean, is a classic song. For this band, at least in my opinion, yeah. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, there's nothing better than getting a record that you can listen to, and that intro track just hits hard. A la Battery, a la Angel of Death. I know we're using very old, old descriptors uh, for that, but I mean, it's it is a hell of an opening track. Um, also, I believe Josh does. There's some sort of thing he does on this album or on this song in particular. Sorry, and. I think it's him tremolo picking a note, but it's a note that's either at the bridge 
or maybe of the nut of the guitar to it where it's not like, an actual that's what note. I thought. Yeah, when I heard it, it sounds like he's ringing a bell at one point. Yeah, yeah. And it definitely um, sounds like you would just be kind of strumming the, you know, uh, closer to the nut. And there's some unhinged fucking guitar playing on this album. Yeah, absolutely. Just absolutely unhinged. It's almost like there's no structure to it, but we know better than that. Like, it just sounds like he is just doing some shit on this record that is... Eh. <laughs> it's controlled chaos. It really is. It is, you know, almost 40 minutes of unrelenting but controlled chaos. Uh, you have songs like A Body Farm, uh, you know, maybe the first song to be written for the album. Man. Uh, there's a music uh, video for it as well. It's kind of like... There's a, a music video for it. I want to touch on that track. Yes, please That do. thing starts so massively and has one of the most memorable vocal lines of any album from theirs that I've heard. Uh, the opening line is for every life I take an ecosystem I create and it just rings out and it's like, Oh my God, just, just come on, just keep bringing this shit uh, to, um, to be hitting it more on the nose. We are horrible people. Uh, what's some of the themes <laughs> on this record? <laughs> That's uh, God again, great song title, tongue in cheek, firmly planted. Um, and then we go to tooth enamel and concrete, which does have Ross on it. But Tooth Enamel and Concrete has that just blood-curdling um, sample at the beginning of it. And, I mean, my God, what a track. <laughs> Some of these tracks just are so abrasive and so violent-sounding that it's hard to even get a grasp of what you're listening to. Um, I mean, the guitar work on this thing is just, my God. Like, it seems like he's playing up in the first position down to the 12th position onto the 15th position without missing a beat that just shows that attests to how, how good they are, how well-crafted these songs are and how practiced they are. Um, I mean, God, I, I, I can't even begin to describe that track. Just that title alone just brings mental images. I think I had seen uh, American history X for the first time, maybe not too long before it. And I was like, yep, that. There we go. My my butthole clenches every time I think of something like that. Uh, the ripe beneath the rind. This is my favorite track on the record, or, or just or like maybe top five of all time. What do you think? No favorite track on the record. Oh, okay. This is my favorite track on the record for one thing. Uh, he utters the line right beneath the rind, but then there's a there's a stop, and he does this like wham noise <laughs> in between that, and it kicks into a fast part. He does it twice on the song. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> perfect. Hearing that in a car high as a kite, like yeah. listening to this, like going to grab food when I was a kid was just like, my fucking God. Um, the product the live, you have uh, Dina Samis uh, yep. doing some guest vocals on that as well. In Ecstasy. Yes. Um, into the Public Bath. I mean, really, there's great there's no, song title. No shortage of great songs on this album. You have the title track. No, I was going to say Into the Public Public Bath makes me think of that awful Har- Harmony Corinne movie um, oh. where the kid's eating spaghetti. Gummo. I, you know, it's so hard to find. I haven't been able to, uh, to actually watch that movie. Uh, but obviously within underground music, it is uh, yep. quite literally one of the best, most eclectic soundtracks. It's got um, sleep on it. It's got Absu. Um, yep. I Hate God. Yeah, um, I, I, maybe even Electric Wizard could. Yeah, I think so. Um, that that may be even one to touch on too for a yeah. future episode. Just as far as like we've never 
talked we've about. never really hit a soundtrack have yeah we? that would be that would be one in particular yeah. but um yeah uh the public pay, that's a funny uh yeah. connection there the harvest floor the title track i mean holy shit um I mean, that's that's the song. That's that's the Jarbo track. Mm-hmm. That's the haunting with the clean with the clean guitars in it, uh, prepping us for what's to come. Yep. Uh, the last track is "Regret in the Grave." So I I, I have a whole spiel. I'm going to dig in on this. Uh, I believe that the track "The Harvest Floor" and "Regret in the Grave" is one track to me. Okay. This is where you start. This is where. The monolith of inhumanity period starts. This is what these two songs did to help breed that. You have this this very depressive black metal vibe that kicks in with this. Travis is a big fan of those bands like Bethlehem. Um, and a lot of probably I would I would it would not shock me if he's a Leviathan fan uh, sure. at this point. Um, but this really kicks in. I mean, Regret in the Grave, it's the second song written for the album. There is a music video, which we touched on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in this track, but the one part of this track is what really, really just piques my interest. I think is going to be the same part that piques yours. It's that guitar line, that chord progression, the gravity rolls. It's it is fucking amazing. This album is a cl- I get I'm getting fucking chills thinking about this record. Karma Bloody Karma may be my favorite from the early era, but that's not to say that this isn't like right behind it because this introduces us to what the band became and what the most successful form of the band became and the biggest form of it. This is this is the album that made them. I'm sorry. Like you had a great ending to their last kind of period with Karma Bloody Karma, which is a great deep cut album, um, almost like a cult hit for them. Um, and then you get this album, which is the precursor to what's to come, and uh, a cap off of one of the one of the best like death grind albums, in my opinion. I I couldn't agree more. A um, few other things I wanted to touch on with this record: there is actually a bonus track. Uh, it, I think it's only yeah. on the J- Japanese release of this record uh, titled You People, um, which I want to say is kind of like may, more or less like a poem uh, written for the record that wasn't lyrical by any means. But they someone uh, with related to the album modified a Tickle Me Elmo doll <laughs> and turned it into a synth. Uh, it is very noisy. It is uh, borderline annoying. but it's pretty wild. It's pretty unsettling stuff. Um, the uh, tour that followed this album as well. They did, a, they did a full Canadian tour, three months straight. Uh, essentially just the four of them, no crew or sound guy to help out. Um, then they followed it up with a two-week uh, tour with Rose Funeral to kind of connect them to their uh, tour with Guar. And then they toured with Mayhem as well. So you did My four God. tours back to back. Probably very grueling, very smelly. Um, so yeah. to start this out, um, the album came out in January 20th yep. of that year. Mm-hmm. Early, like one of the first releases of the year. Because most, most labels and most artists do not release around Christmas. They just yeah. don't. It's not a great yeah. time. Can't, um, yeah. 
So this album came out January 20th, right around my 19th birthday. I saw them in February and I saw them on a tour package, which we touched on the last episode. But since then, we have uh, we have connected with our mutual friend and one of my best friends of all time, yeah. uh, Norm. And he was there with me. And we it was at a venue called Juanitas. It was uh, originally supposed to be at a venue called The Village, which was a slightly bigger venue. But uh, the band As I Lay Dying played there the night before and blew the sound system. I was at that show as well. Really? And... Yep, was at them both nights. We Jeez. just made a we just made a twofer of it. Wow! I was like, I'm not missing this shit. Um, so we go to see this band at the smaller venue. It's great. Like, there's no barricade. I mean, the stage is like six inches off the floor. It's literally that shot from the from the office of going. There's the stage. That's it. <laughs> uh, like, it's literally that. Uh, the venue was fairly sparsely filled. There might have been 200 people there, maybe. Um, which just shows how far they've came. Uh, that tour was in January, February. Uh, so I, it was probably the very first tour they did in support of this album. So they essentially toured from that point, probably up till sometime 2010, Jeez. uh, just nonstop on Who this was thing. on that show. And so it was cattle was headlining. It was Psyopus, which was direct support. They had an album called odd senses that came out during that period on a uh, metal blade. Um, I would like to touch on that band at some point, maybe just in conversation. Uh, that's a hard band to dedicate a lot of time to because it's literally a panic attack and a listen. <laughs> um, it's, oh my God, it's, it's, it, it's great for what it is, but man, it just, it jars you. Um, it was, uh, Psyopus, uh, the band, I'm going to mispronounce it cause it's a Kaiju, but it's Gigan or Gigan. Um, and then the opening band was Book of Black Earth, which was a prosthetic records kind of black and death metal band. Uh, kind of a weird tour. You know, this was a period of time where like cattle decapitation were taking these weird tours with like smaller bands. And they didn't start getting these big major push tours till I think Monolith came out. And but you see, too, that something was going on with the band. There was a vibe around the band. They had they had basically stepped up to another level. And that's not to say anything that came before that was negative. But on this record, they really became what we know now. Uh, There was only, the only lineup change that has happened since this record's been a bass player change. Uh, It's been two, technically, because this was Troy's last record. Um, But man, this was, this is a motherfucker of a record. Um, This would be, if anybody wanted to listen to this band, um, this would be the album I would give them and go start here. Um, this is the blending of the old era and the new era. I would give them this and I would give them death Atlas. Those would be the two records I'd give them. Um, you know, we touched on it in our last episode, uh, with one of Travis's older band strangulation, having Diego as the disgorge connection. Well, the bass player from disgorge apparently passed away during this time period. So this album is dedicated to, uh, Ben Lee Marlin, who was the basis of disgorge, uh, and strangulation. I didn't realize he was in that band. That's right. Yep. Um, he was in strangulation. Um, seemed oh, like they man, that's right. Friends, friends for a long time. So unfortunately, yeah, passed around, um, uh, just bef- passed on just before, uh, the release of this record. Uh, it's also, uh, Vitek. Yep. Of, of, uh, uh man, I forgot. All about that. He was like 26 when he died. That's crazy. And um, just such a tragic accident in general. Yeah. I that's another band I really want to touch on. I know that's a hard one to want to touch on just because of some things that happened a few years ago with that band. Um, but the 
that losing that drummer during the period of time that that band was starting to really kick in and become this whole separate new thing than just a death metal band was a big deal. And that was such a tragic accident. I mean, let's, he died in a car crash. Let's go back to the most recent terrible car crash that happened to a band, which was year of the knife. Um, and, uh, she is still like, she's home now, but she's still got a long road ahead of her. So it just shows what can happen. I mean, we just touched on these guys doing like almost a year and a half of straight touring and it shows what can happen during all that, you know, working bands, you know, you're really just trying to do the thing uh, you enjoy the most and, you know, you grind and scrape by and get to the next city and, you know, freak accidents like this can happen where people, people's lives are essentially ruined or taken from them. Um, It's, uh, you know, there's a lot that can be said about the um, culture of, you know, paying bands what they're owed, yeah. um, you know, as far as like the compensation and, and just trying to survive and, you know, have uh, safe conditions for you to like play is is crazy. So, yeah, uh, unfortunately, uh, to... Uh, two basically working musicians had passed mm-hmm. uh, around the time of this album, uh, but they are, it is dedicated to their memory. Um, a little bit of the reception. I know this is maybe not necessarily a thing that really matters at this point in time, but, uh, you know, according to Nielsen SoundScan, uh, it sold 1,700 copies within its first week in the United States alone. It Big deba- deal. debuted at number 16 on the Billboard Heat Seekers chart, if that matters to anybody out there. But, uh, just to kind of show you that, you know, even as an underground band making some waves in, uh, you know, a kind of uh, modern metric at the time. So kind of final note on this album is this is this is the album. If this band had broken up after this album. This would be the album they were known for. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we know you've got a whole slew of records coming after this that each could have been a cap on a career. Yep. Um, this is the album they could have been known for. Uh, seriously, this would have been the culmination of everything this band did, and it would have been fucking fantastic. But they just kept putting out, honestly, classic records. Classic records. Uh, they will be, there will be other inductions into the Decibel Hall of Fame. I fucking know that to be a fact. Like, Albert, make that shit happen. Um, <laughs> you know, this is a great band. Um, I have never been disappointed by this band. There's always new aspects to this band. And this is where all of that fucking started is this early era. I mean, what's great. And I believe I touched on this at the beginning of our episode here is that I got to, I got to have you communicate with me on the first listens to all of these records and just go like, what is going on? You know, what did I, what did I not hear? And what am I hearing for the first time? And it's just, it's so fucking wild. This is this is such a good band. They're going to be considered one of the classic bands of their genre by the end of their career. Um, I mean, they're they are the band you never was suspected, but they are. Yeah, I mean, just seeing where they have started, essentially as uh, being kind of like not a joke band necessarily, but it's kind of lighthearted fun to what they are now. Yeah, um, I'm I'm very much looking forward to kind of discussing some of the the records from their later the later half of their career uh, yep. in our next episode um so definitely be looking out for that one soon there are there are some uh like you mentioned man there's some motherfuckers 
uh, oh to come God. that I, I really Four cannot wait uh, to get into some of the stuff that I was introduced to when I first became a fan of this band, aware of uh, just the monster that is cattle decapitation. I mean, it's funny because like I'm sitting right here, but yeah, like here we go. Yep. Can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, definitely looking forward to talking more about uh, the the history of cattle decapitation. All right, we've come to that point of the episode where we like to recommend some things that we've been listening to. And my God, we have uh, quite the list of new releases uh, within the past week or so. Uh, last week alone, saw the re- the release of a couple records that I definitely want to touch on. Uh, the new Tumult record, uh, The God. Enduring Spirit, which is out now. A surprise release. 20 bucks spin. Yeah, they came out maybe a week before the release date and said, hey, it's coming out at the end of the week. It'll be out in full for streaming. No singles whatsoever. Just you, you don't have to wait. It's all here for you, um, for you to stream and listen to however you do that. And then it'll there will be a pre-order available that same day for you to have the physical copy. Yep. Uh, so you and I, we like to do that thing. We're like, hey, all right, yep. it's coming up. And if usually if one of us gets to the uh, the link first, we'll usually notify the other person. Hey, it's up now. You can run over to the link and grab it man it's i loved how they released it they didn't release a single yep they just released a small teaser video like the day before Mm -hmm. uh which had little to nothing really in it um i love that i mean obviously this band has already put out a few records two on 20 bucks spin in particular yep and when this album was released they didn't have to have a single everybody had been talking about when's the next two mold record being released and you literally had an album that I'm sure the pre-orders are sold out at this point um, that released sold all of its pre-orders and with no, with no lead up single with nothing just purely out of, uh, out of uh, anticipation. Yeah. I mean, this, this band, I mean, manner of infinite forms, Mm -hmm. uh, planetary clairvoyance. Uh, I know they had like a three song, uh, EP that came out. Mm-hmm. I got on tape. Uh, they also did like a reissue of that on vinyl uh, yep. during the release of this new record. But the, I think really the band's output speaks for themselves. Now we kind of talked about this off air mm-hmm. a little bit, but I want to say, you know, manner, manner of infinite forms, certainly more straightforward in the realm yep. of death metal. Now this band has taken a bit of a break uh, since the release of, I want to say it's 2019's planetary clairvoyance. Has it been four years? Yeah, I want to say it's been a wow. little while. Um, I mean, obviously with the pandemic, um, yeah. Derek Vela has also been busy in other projects like Outer Heaven, who released a record this year. He plays bass on that right. album. Uh, he also uh, did a great uh, record with Dream Unending, which... Two he, Dream Unending records. That's fair. Yeah, two Dream Unending records. That's right. Yep. Um, that, yeah, wow. I, it's, I can't believe... Yeah, it's two. Because that latest one incredible record yeah incredible album uh some of the arrangements it really should be listened to as if it were one piece but yes um a lot of the influence seems to be coming from that sort of mindset of this kind of like progressive there's some like doom you know it's it's slower there are there's a lot of like different um there's some doom and progressive influences on this for sure that's the big word and i know uh, I know we touched on kind of human era death in the episode. This sounds definitely more in vain of like symbolic yes, absolutely. or sound of perseverance with that kind of high fifth harmony 
that's yeah. always in there. Yes. Um, this is definitely you and I have had a joke for years when we talk about, you know, death metal bands. Uh, this this album is less Ooga Booga than the last two. It's it's true. Less less Ooga, a little more Booga for sure. Ah, ah, and ah. it's definitely an, a, a testament to this band's progression as well, because Manner of Infinite Forms is a great, just straightforward death metal record. It definitely kind of, it took you kind of getting me into them because it kind of fell under the radar for me because it sounded like a lot of the HM2 bands that were coming out. And then once you listen to it, you go, oh, okay, I get it. Uh, Planet, uh, was it Planetary Clairvoyance Correct. is the next record. It's a little spacier. Yes. Sounding. Uh, the artwork definitely death metal rivals bands it. love their space. I don't they, know. It's, man, it's you, just, you aren't kidding. Uh, great record. This band's catalog's really fun to listen to. Not very long. But then the two Dream Unending records come out. And you go, oh, this is like Death Doom. This is wild. You can definitely see the melodicism and the influence on this record. The artwork on this is second to fucking none. It's incredible. It's so great. And I want to say it's the same guy who had worked on Planetary Clairvoyance, uh, perhaps also the Manner of Infinite Forms. But... um the the arrangements i mean it's only like 40 minutes so it's not a very yeah, long listen, short one. but seven songs you really i'm still kind of it's been a week and i'm still kind of already sitting with it and just i i feel like every time it's kind of like some of the the uh, songs that we've talked about in this episode as far as cattle i mean you find something new every time you listen to it and i all all kudos to derek vela uh just surrounding himself self with uh you know amazing players uh, I mean, I want to say it's is it Justin Detour who is on in Dream Unending. He also is in I believe so. Mind Eraser and uh, Innumerable mm-hmm. Forms, as well as uh, Sumerlands. Um, yeah, that's but, right. Uh, man, this is incredible release. Uh, it is out now through Twenty Bucks Spin. So I highly re- recommend. I highly recommend checking that out. I have one more note to add to this record. Um, you know, we touched off uh, off air about the bass playing. Mm-hmm. on this album. Um, I would presume that Derek played bass on this album. He did. Uh, because he played bass on the Dream on Indie records, but he also played bass on the most recent Outer Heaven record, which Correct. if you have not, the title is slipping me. Hopefully we can put this in. We'll we'll put it right here. Um, <laughs> with the, because uh, I love that band. We've been waiting on that album, but he plays bass on that. And I don't think he had ever really played bass before that record but it shows how well he has progressed as a bass player on this album. Cause it's like, I believe it's a, it may have even been a Squire jazz bass or a Fender jazz bass that he put a fretless neck on. It's uh yeah, it is fretless. If you uh, go over to YouTube uh, after watching this video, you can find there's like a behind the scenes, uh, the making of that kind of chronicles, you know, some of the production and uh, the work that went into uh, everything about, this latest record. Um, but yeah, he's seen kind of uh finger finger picking like this um fretless four string bass. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, I mean he's obviously very, very talented. Um and uh yeah, it is out now. Check it out. Uh some other um kind of spacey death metal. Uh no, blood this, incant- this is an Ooga Booga band. Oh yeah. Uh Blood Incantation uh released two songs nearly 10 minutes in length, Obliquity of the Ecliptic and Luminescent Bridge. Um, the first song is more in the realm of kind of death metal. Uh, yep. There's, and then you get the, the back half of it, which is more or less like an ambient track. There's a lot of like yep. these lush 
layers, um, obviously very reminiscent of the uh, album they had released prior to this, but um, Time Wave Zero. This band really just kind of does whatever they want. Yeah. Uh, and I really appreciate it. I got to see them on the tour uh, they did with Full of Hell and um, uh, not Primitive Man, but the other band that Ethan is in, Vermin Womb. Oh, wow. Uh, that was a fantastic so, show. That's funny that you mentioned that because you saw them with Full of Hell and Vermin Womb. Mm-hmm. So I saw them. And it was for the hidden hand, or the hidden hand album that they did. Uh, it was uh, Blood Incantation's headliner, Primitive Man Direct Support, wow. and oh, Jarhead Fertilizer oh, was opening. I love that band. So it's like all this like amalgamation of like those bands. Um, but later this month, I will be seeing them open for the Almighty Cannibal Corpse. Perfect, 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 perfect. Yeah, I, I know they're coming. Through my neck of the woods, maybe in Gary, but um, where are they playing at in uh, Nashville? They're playing at the they're playing at Marathon Music Works, man. Oh, beautiful! We've seen so many shows. We, we saw Ghost there. Yep, I saw Henry uh, Henry Rollins do some Lamb of God there. Lamb of God. That was a weird tour. Lamb that was God, the weird one. Yeah, Death Heaven, Anthrax, uh, Power Trip. Yep. Um, yeah, fantastic venue. Um, yeah, so those those singles are out now. You can stream those. Uh, one record I know in particular that we've both been looking yeah. forward to, uh, the latest Baroness record, Stone. Stone. Also out now through the band's own label, Abraxan Hymns. This is maybe some of my favorite stuff that they've done. Uh, I think I was maybe came into their discography through the Red Album uh, later mm-hmm. on. Uh, I think Swindle and you certainly uh, introduced me to the band. But, I mean, really, this lineup alone... Uh, yeah really has something special going there's a magic there's a magic between the four of them right now and uh i think it really shows on stone um oh man this this album the songs feel more direct to me this is a little bit more in my vibe of like the blending of all their influences which is like there's punk there's you know classic rock there's some of the kind of like post-wave stuff like sonic youth yep all of that's kind of culminated in here this is my favorite thing they've put out since the blue record. Yep. Um, all the albums in between are great, not knocking them, but this just feels much more direct to me. Uh, great record. Congratulations to those guys. Yeah. I mean, I'm very much looking forward to the tour. I know they're going to be playing the Vic theater here in uh, the Chicagoland area. Um, last time I saw them would have been on the uh, golden gray uh, back in mm-hmm. 2019. Uh, I put my name in like a, a bucket or something at the Grimy's in Nashville. And uh, we won tickets. I took you with me. We went with Swindle and our good friend, Matt Graham, uh, just kind of uh, Paul bear opened just to kind of tie it back into your shirt. But uh, what a, what a show Uh, I'm sure it will, this tour, which also has like such an eclectic lineup. Crazy openers, regional openers. I want to say the show that will be occurring in Chicago uh, has chat pile as an opener, but they've got dates with like Jesus Peace and just a, a wide array of, of different bands that uh, anyone would be happy to see, I think. So the albums, singles that I've been listening to lately, obviously are the three that we just uh, touched on because those are all great. Uh, but the Mighty Suffocation dropped a new single I had been waiting yes, uh, heavily for. Uh, it's from their album Hymns. Oh, I'm going to butcher this last word. (laughs) Hymns of Apocrypha. Uh, The track is called Seraphim Enslavement. 
It's their first record without Frank Mullen on vocals. Mm. It's their first record with Ricky Myers, formerly of formerly drummer of Disgorge on ah, vocals. Okay. Uh, on the record. The album will be coming out uh, sometime in November, I believe, on Nuclear Blast Records. I mean, it's suffocation. Uh, they're one of the pinnacles of death metal. Uh, it's technical. There's some neoclassical influence to it, which is wild. But man, it is just chock full of riffs. It's heavy. You know, check that out uh, on the other end of the spectrum with heaviness. Um, I've been a fan of this this lady's work for a long time. Um, and that would be Mirkur. Yeah. Uh, I've been a fan of hers since it was more of a kind of traditionally black metal sung vocals from the first record. She's dropped two new tracks, uh, Like Humans and Moth-like. On her uh, upcoming record, Spine, which will be coming out on Relapse Records. Uh, check those out. It's a good palate cleanser. Uh, you know, if you're like me and you listen to extreme metal essentially every day, great palate cleanser, but also has some great Celtic influences to it. Um, one that shocked me was I'm not a big grind fan. Mm-hmm. You know, you Swindle Live talked about this throughout the years. Uh, the newest Gridlink record yeah. is something else. Coronet Juniper out on Willowtip Records. Um, this thing is fast, it's aggressive, it's catchy. It sounds like to me just like traditional heavy metal music played hyper fast mm. because the way it's structured, it doesn't sound like grind to me. Um, it's I love the artwork. I, I couldn't tell you what it is, but it's got these washes of pink and like purples on it. It's fantastic. Uh, and I did one more kind of added note is uh one of my favorite death grind bands exhumed has dropped a remaster of their debut album gore metal, which will be coming out soon on nuclear blast records. So check all that shit out. Uh, well that was it for us this week. We'll be back next week talking about a few more records within the cattle decapitation discography. Uh, just another part in our series and the deep dive of that band's catalog. Uh, if you'd like to give us a follow head on over to at distortion, eight ninety one Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For all updates on this podcast, as well as our live show, Vocal Distortion, that airs every Monday from 6 p.m. Central. Uh, we also have a Riffs on Repeat playlist that you can follow if you're ever lonely and want, looking for some new tunes. You can always find something there. But until then, we'll be back next week with some more riffs here on Riff Worship.